0: Today, I'm chatting with spiritual teacher, author, and lecturer Marion Wilmson. Hello, Marion.
1: Hi, how are you?
0: Very good. So, tell me, Marion, who are you and what do you do?
1: <laughs> well, I'm an American woman and I write books. Uh, I have written quite a few. I began lecturing in 1983 on A Course in Miracles, uh, which has been referred uh, to as a self study program of spiritual psychotherapy. I have written quite a few books, I give lectures, I teach seminars. Uh, I'm also a bit of a political uh, and social activist. I uh, work with, uh, I have a long history working with uh, AIDS organizations on issues of global poverty through something called the Results Organization. And I actually ran for Congress uh, last year as well, so I'm quite politically active.
0: Sounds like you're pretty busy.
1: Yeah, I'm pretty busy. I'm also a mom, which is the most important thing of all.
0: What has been your own journey into the work The Course of Miracles?
1: Well, I think that my journey is just like everyone else's. I think that we all, in our own way, most of us anyway, uh, either through wisdom or through pain, I think for me, usually through pain, came to realize and still come to realize when when it occurs even now, that a certain way of looking at the world, a certain kind of ego perspective, which posits us as separate from one another, leads to damage and leads to suffering. And I think that this is true not only in our personal lives, but also collectively. And so I, like everyone else, have been motivated by my own life experiences to find another way. To seek out the message of compassion and forgiveness and love. And once I heard the message, to seek to the best of my ability to apply it in practical ways. And I find that when I do that, my life works. And I and those around me experience greater happiness and breakthrough. I also in my own life, as does everyone, find that when I do not do that, when I am instead rooted in anger and defensiveness, competition and ego, that I cause myself and those around me to suffer. So, so much of the world today is dominated by a thought system that breeds fear and breeds separation, that it takes conscious determination and mental discipline to repudiate the dominant thought system and to choose love instead.
0: Was there anything in particular that happened in your own life that motivated you to go on this journey, Marion?
1: I, like most people, wouldn't necessarily point to one event. And I also wouldn't point to one moment in which I got it, you know, oh, enlightened understanding, road to, you know, Tarnas or whatever. That's not the experience of most modern seekers. It's it's a process of maturation, isn't it? It's a process of growing up. We all go through our challenges. You would certainly know that living in your country. Countries go through challenges, groups of people go through challenges, and individuals go through challenges. And it's not one event. It's many events. It's, it's, it's patterns as well as specifics. And I think that that's important because... I think sometimes we feel like oh I haven't gotten it yet and it's not like that on any given day we have a choice whether to behave with a with a more open heart or to close our hearts and not only and we always make that decision we make that decision in every moment we make it we might make it consciously we might make it unconsciously but we make the decision and so the spiritual path is a journey of Honing your own mental muscles, consciously choosing to look at life through a mental filter of love rather than fear, you know, to say, I choose to be an instrument of blessing rather than an instrument of blame. I don't, I don't want to be a negative person. I want to be a positive person. And to know it's one thing to say that, but something else again, to truly hone, you know, just like when you go to a gym or you do yoga you are honing your physical muscles well the spiritual path is one in which we hone our mental muscles our emotional muscles we hone our attitudes we we get away from a what can i get mentality and move into what can i give mentality which is easy to do once you understand that on a spiritual and metaphysical level you only get to keep what you give so That's my journey. And it's not like I graduated into enlightenment uh, one day. Uh, You know, I'm still on that journey. I still walk that path. It's kind of like physical exercise. Even if your body looks great to you, you don't get to say, okay, well, I don't have to exercise anymore because I like the way my body looks. You know, you have to keep this up for the rest of your life. And the same is true with meditation and prayer and forgiveness and compassion you might have on any given day really gotten it right. But the next day you'll be challenged. I think particularly of living in the world today. The world is challenged today. There's a lot of fear, a lot of understandable fear. And it does seem as though we have ended, we've come to the end of one era. One way of, of, of ordering our civilization is not working. And I think humanity is seeking now from the bottom of things, deep inside the sort of collective unconscious, to emerge into a new, more expanded perspective and collective behavioral patterns. You know, evolution didn't stop with us. And there's not just physical evolution in life. There's moral evolution, spiritual evolution, evolution of consciousness. And so I think that you and I are living at a profound moment of transition. And I'm interested in how we all can participate in that transition, not just in order to heal our own personal lives, but also to heal and better our planet.
0: You mentioned about the happiness and love and having a very open heart, Marion, but do you think it's the ego that prevents us from experiencing this?
1: Well, it depends on how you use the word ego, of course the way the Course in Miracles and the way the ancient Greeks used the word ego, the answer would be yes. It's the idea of a small separated self. If I think of myself as separate from the rest of the world, if I only identify with my body, then number one, I cannot feel very powerful because I'm just one body out of billions. And I'm attaching myself to The physical reality as ultimate reality. Therefore, I think of myself in competition with others because I, by definition, believe in scarcity. And also, I am afraid of being overwhelmed by all the power and all these other beings. So the ego is the mindset that sees life that way. Now, the mindset of spirit Is One in which I do not see myself as only a body. I see myself as a spirit. I see you as a spirit There's no place where your spirit stops and mine starts It's like the difference between seeing myself as a wave in the ocean that is separate from other waves Rather than remembering that there's actually no place where one wave stops and another wave starts So if I think of myself only as one wave then how could I not be terrified of the ocean but if I think of myself as one with the ocean, then I identify with the power of the ocean. So a spiritual perspective convinces me that if I am in any moment there to love, there to not think about what I can get, but what I can give, not obsessing about the past or the future, but living fully in the present, truly really seeking to the best of my ability to be a, an element of positivity and rejecting, in that sense, the ultimate, the meaninglessness with which we are barraged constantly in modern culture. The spiritual idea is that just as every cell in the body is guided by natural intelligence to collaborate with other cells in order to serve the healthy functioning of the organ of which they are part, each and every one of us, if we allow ourselves to be, are guided by a natural intelligence that tells us and leads us to collaborate with other beings, other cells, other people, in order to serve the healthy functioning of the larger organism of which we are part, which is the human race. And in the body, just as in consciousness, sometimes in the body, cells, for reasons that we do not fully understand, go insane. And they disconnect from their natural intelligence and they go off to do their own thing. Now, we call that cancer. We call it cancer in the body, but it is also a malignancy in consciousness. So yes, in that sense, the ego mind would be seen as that malignant thought that I'm here only for myself, and I better defeat you before you defeat me, and I'm here to transact with you, but that doesn't mean necessarily to relate to you. And that consciousness has led us to a world civilization so based on greed rather than humanitarian principle that we are literally threatening the survival of our species
0: and you spoke here about this natural intelligence Marianne can you tell me a little bit more about this
1: well you can think of the natural intelligence in either secular terms religious terms or spiritual terms to me that natural intelligence I have no problem with the word God so to me that is God. To other people, the word God gets in the way. God, the word itself is but a symbol. But it is love. It is that which fosters life. So just as the cell is guided by natural intelligence, when we meditate, when we pray, when we forgive, when our hearts are open in compassion, we too are guided by the natural intelligence. But the thinking of the world is 180 degrees away from natural intelligence. So enlightenment is a process of unlearning the thought system of lovelessness, basically, that dominates the consciousness of the the human race at this time, and accepting instead a consciousness based on love. And in The Course in Miracles, it's interesting, it says that the relationship of love to fear is the same as the relationship of light to darkness. That darkness is not a thing, it's just the absence of a thing. And you don't get rid of darkness by fighting darkness, you get rid of darkness by turning on the light. Because in the presence of light, darkness cannot be. So the Course in Miracles says that the mind serving love is in its natural state. And when the mind turns away from love and free will gives us the choice, when the mind turns away from love, in the absence of love, that which is left is a category called fear. Now, there are many emotions within that. Depression, anxiety, anger, neediness. We can talk about various emotions, but they all fall under the, the umbrella of the basic fear which sets in when love is absent, so spiritually we are taught that in the presence of love fear cannot exist just as in the presence of light darkness cannot exist and that's why when we're seeking to solve any problem the answer is always who am I not forgiving what am I not giving in this situation where am I not focusing on on what I can be grateful for where am I not being a blessing in the situation rather than casting all the blame And the problem outside ourselves, which just keeps us locked in that cycle of fear and violence.
0: Is there a purpose behind these negative and painful emotions, Marion?
1: Well, that's such an interesting question. Actually, no. Insanity has no purpose. It is, in fact, the essence of purposelessness. And that's, you know, it's so interesting that you say that because that is the point. We, particularly from the West, we have bought into... What I call the myth of neutrality. In the Western mind, we would say, well, you know, we don't want to hurt anybody, but we don't want to help anybody. You know, I'm just trying to live my life. But the mind is so powerful that, and thought is so powerful and creates form on every level. If we do not give our lives the purpose of love, then our minds will be used for the purpose of fear. If you do not dedicate your life, dedicate your day, dedicate your community, dedicate your resources to the purpose of love, they will unconsciously be used for the purposes of ruining your day. Neurosis, psychosis, self-sabotage, anger, and so forth. That's how powerful the mind is. So in that sense, does the ego have a purpose? It is the product of purposelessness which gives it the purpose of destruction and fear. It's kind of like if you look at the alcoholic or the drug addict, alcoholism and drug addiction being perfect examples of the, the way the ego, you know, they are particular manifestations of ego mind. Alcoholism is not just out to inconvenience you. It's out to kill you. So the mind that is not in service to, to light, becomes infected. It's like a a virus in the mental computer. And you don't have to be addicted to a substance to have a mind that is working against you. That's why in the 12-step programs, they say only a spiritual experience can heal us.
0: And I heard recently, Marion, that to wake up is to let go of everything that is actually keeping us asleep. Do you think this is true?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: Course in Miracles... There's a lot of talk about a way to actually self-empower ourselves. What way does the Course in Miracles teach us this?
1: The ego mind is the idea that all my power is my own. But the spiritual idea is that our power is the power of God within us. It's like a house that is wired for electricity. Think of the universe as a house that's wired for electricity, and God or love is the electricity. We are all lamps. Doesn't matter the design of the lamp or the shape of the lamp or the color of the lamp. What matters is that the lamp is plugged in. Now, if a lamp is plugged in, it has no power, is not plugged in, then it has no power to cast light. But if the lamp is plugged in, It has infinite power to cast light. If I pray, if I meditate, I'm plugging in. If I forgive, if I have compassion, if I practice mercy towards myself and others, I'm plugged in. So when I am plugged in, the power of the universe flows through me no more and no less than through anyone else. But if I'm not plugged in, I of myself have no real power at all. So love fuels us. It's like a car. You can have a Rolls Royce. You can have a Bentley. You could have the, you know, the fanciest car in the world. But if that car has no gas in it, it's not going anywhere, or unless it's an electric car. you know There has to be a power source. So just a, a fantastic car of itself doesn't mean the car has any power. If it has no engine, if it has no fuel, then there is no power. Of course, in something like the 12-step programs, they use the expression, higher power. The power of the ego looks for power in money, looks for power in business, looks for power in technology, looks for power in relationships with other people. But those are not those things that ultimately empower us. And if we base our sense of power on those things, then we will always be living in fear. Fear that we won't get those things, or even if we have them, fear that we will lose those things. When you realize that your power comes from that which is within you but not of you, then you know it's nothing you have to go get. It is in you, no more and no less than anyone else. It is something that you express by choosing to express it, by choosing to be present in a situation, by choosing to be as positive a conduit as you can. And then it is a power that flows through you for which you are a channel.
0: You mentioned about relationships there, Marion, as well. How come so many of us find it so hard to have authentic and meaningful relationships?
1: As I said before, the dominant thought system of the planet is a thought system based on separation rather than union. And it separates us by teaching us to fear one another. And it teaches us to fear one another by constantly tempting us to focus on the guilt in each other just as the spirit focuses on the innocence in each other so the ego mind always purports to be looking for love but its true function is to make sure we never find it and so when you wake up in the morning and you before you even go out the door send love to everyone that you know you're going to see today Send love even to those that you don't know who's going to be at the meeting, but you send love to them. You don't know who's going to be walking into your store, but you send love to them. As you stand in your store, somebody walks in, you send love to them. Then you are literally using the power of your mind to establish relationship. You are recognizing, i.e. recognizing that which is the ultimate truth. But that's not what the ego mind teaches us. That's not how we're taught to think. We wake up in the morning. We pick up the newspaper. We see all the terrible things happening around the world, the climate change, the migrant crisis, ISIL, economic breakdown. And it puts us into a state of fear. And to the extent to which we are in a state of fear, we see each other through the eyes of fear. But if we wake up in the morning... And before you look at the newspaper, before you go into understanding what's happening in the outer world, you ground yourself in the inner world of infinite love and infinite peace, and you extend that love to others, then it puts you literally in a different mental universe. And it is only in that mental universe that we can find each other, we can forgive each other, and we can love each other.
0: Oftentimes, marrying people can experience, say, conflict in relationships as well. Is that a direct result of the ego or is it something else?
1: Well, we heal in our lives through a kind of detox process. Things have to come up in order to be released. So there's a saying that love brings up everything unlike itself. And there's truth to that. So sometimes when you get into a relationship with someone, you find after the initial excitement and high that they're neurotic side and their issues begin to appear and your neurotic sides and your issues begin to appear this is the way however that we will heal this is what makes relationships holy encounters this is what makes relationships hospitals for the soul the problem is that the ego mind says "Oh, I see your faults I'm I'm leaving now or I will not feel safe to show anything but a mask Because I'm afraid that you're going to judge me for my weaknesses. Well, the ego mind, that's what the ego is doing. The ego is saying, oh, I want love. Therefore, I need to lead this relationship and find one that's better. What the spirit says is this is how you are healing. This is how I am healing. And if we remain here in an attitude of love and forgiveness and mercy towards one another, then you will have a chance to see your issues and choose to transform. And I will have a chance to see my issues and choose to transform. So the fact that issues come up in relationship doesn't of itself mean there's no love. It just means that there's the opportunity for growth and transformation.
0: People can experience codependency in relationships as well, Marion. Is there a way around this?
1: there is a way around every problem because there is no order of difficulty in miracle, but codependency for anyone who has experienced its ravages. And I think I would include myself in that is very difficult because it really burrows into some very deep uh, places in the mind and in the heart, usually um, wounds that were created in childhood, places where you do not have, Healthy automatic synapses, uh, which allow us to remain with our power, remain with our sense of being loved, and make us knock us out of that center and that alignment, instead projecting onto another human being that they and their love uh, will fulfill our deeper needs. Codependency is a form of idolatry, it's where you think someone is the source of your good, the source of that which approves of you, makes you okay, makes you loved. And the answer to no matter what the problem is, is that, as the Course in Miracles says, you think you have many different problems, but you really only have one, and that is your separation from God. So the answer to codependency is the same as the answer to everything else, and that is God's love. In the case of codependency, God's love is the answer in that I realize that it is God's love and not your love. That completes me, and to the extent to which I know that I am healed of that childhood trigger, I am healed of that childhood wound which would tempt me to sacrifice my own truth and sacrifice my own good, trying to get your approval, which of course will never work.
0: is there a way to know that if we are actually in a codependent relationship or not
1: well, yeah, first and foremost, by the behavior of the other person, you know it's like we've all we've all been there I mean things it's really pretty simple if you're happy and at peace you something's going well and if you're not happy and not at peace something's obviously not going well and then the question is what am i not giving and for the codependent often what you're not giving but in a very insidious way is space to the other person to be who they are and space to yourself to express your own truth regardless where the chips might fall
0: how would you suggest for a person to deal with someone, say, who is particularly abusive in a relationship?
1: Well, now, there are nuances here. Uh, When it comes to physical abuse, I am a no-tolerance person. You know, if we're talking about physical abuse, there is nothing further to say. But when it comes to the majority, that that sort of normal spectrum of relationships, I think we use the word abuse too easily. Because... What one person would call another abuse, what we call abuse. Another person would call, they simply set a healthy boundary. And it feels like abuse to you because you're such a codependent. You're such a bruised personality that when they simply say no, you take that as abuse. So I am a little suspicious of how easily we throw away that, throw around that word these days. Physical abuse genuine, emotional, and psychological abuse, which does exist, don't get me wrong. There is nothing to say other than you are changing your phone number and changing your address and so forth. But I think most of us, when we are dealing with this issue um, within the normal spectrum, we, we would be best to put that aside, that word, and remember, as The Course in Miracles says, what am I not giving in, in any situation? Because it's easy, the ego is very insidious and very sly, casting a word like abuse onto someone else when you know if that other person was sitting here they would have their own story to tell about how that situation went down and you might go oh wow I'm not so sure that is abuse
0: How important is forgiveness in relationships?
1: Well forgiveness is an interesting thing because when you use the word <clears throat> the way the Course in Miracles uses it it's very very different than what we normally associate with the term Normally, when we think of forgiveness, we think of the other person having done something. And that makes them a true jerk, but we are spiritual, so we forgive them now. The Course in Miracles points out that's just judgments. That's not forgiveness. Forgiveness is the realization that we all make mistakes. And I have a choice if you have made a mistake in my presence. I can focus on your mistake, or I can focus on the things that you've tried to do right, the things that you have done right. I can focus on who you really are. You know, when, we, when I have made the biggest mistakes in my life, and I have made them, I did not wake up that morning intending to be a jerk. I didn't. I think of the biggest mistakes I've made in my life, and I realize that in those moments, I did not know how to express myself lovingly and get my needs met. Wires had been crossed. Wires in my brain had been crossed in childhood or whatever. And so people who have helped me the most when I have made mistakes are not those who have judged me and condemned me. They are people who have shown me some mercy and compassion. And that's what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is the realization that even though you made a mistake, I don't have to focus on your mistake. I can realize that beyond your personality there is the true you and the true you was not like downloaded it's like a computer. The true you is an undeletable file, but we don't always download that file. That's what enlightenment is, the path of learning to download the better you every moment. Well, it's hard. None of us are enlightened masters yet. Some people are, I think they've lived and they live, I'm not, so that means at some moments, I make a mistake. How how would I wish other people to behave around my error? Hold me accountable in some cases? Absolutely. Um, th- there might be consequences? A- absolutely. Maybe there will be. But people who can, even if feeling the need to hold me accountable, even if they feel the need to express consequences and so forth, their willingness to forgive me, to give me another chance on whatever level, even if not within the, by them behaviorally, but to know that God does not withhold his love from me in the moment when I am not my true self. God does not withhold his love from me in the moment when I make a mistake. And we are here to learn to love each other as God loves us. So forgiveness means whether I need to uh, set a healthy boundary here or not, that on the level of consciousness, I still can exercise compassion and know that you are not your mistakes. You are a being of infinite love, and in that moment... You went insane. We all go insane at certain moments. And there is a little bit of insanity, which is just small mistakes. And then there's huge insanity, such as genuine criminality. But even in the case of genuine criminality, where people, for instance, belong in prison, if you look at the countries whose prison systems are laced with a a consciousness of compassion for the perpetrator, their rate of recidivism is much lower because they are actually open to training uh, uh, inmates and so forth so that they can get out of prison and start a new life from a different place. Higher rates of recidivism means that the inmate left the prison, went back to a life of crime. So who was punished by that? So forgiveness not only releases the other person, forgiveness releases ourselves as well.
0: And is there a practical way that we could apply this, Marianne?
1: Sometimes it's not hard. Sometimes a friend simply says to you, oh, lighten up. Come on, give them a break. Sometimes it's that easy. Sometimes it's not that easy at all. Sometimes someone has betrayed us. Someone, sometimes someone has uh, perpetrated something against us. And I know people who have had perpetrated against themselves or people they love acts of genuine evil. I'm not being glib here, but there is a Buddhist story about two Buddhist monks who were approaching a river. And a woman came up to them and said, I don't know how to swim. Would one of you please carry me on your shoulders across the river? And one of the monks said, sure, climb up. She climbed onto his shoulders. They swam across the water. On the other end of the river, they reached the other side of the riverbank. The woman went off his shoulders. She thanked him. She walked one way, and the two monks walked the other way. The two monks walked in silence. But after a while, the monk who did not carry the woman said to the monk who did, I have to say that I am bothered. I am bothered by the fact That you, a monk, a monk, with your vows of celibacy and so forth, carried a woman on your shoulders across the river. And the monk who carried the woman said, I just carried her over the river. You have been carrying her ever since.
0: In regard to stories, Marianne, how much does the story we create in our lives play a part in the level of happiness we experience?
1: 100%. Every moment we make a choice between which mental filter we choose, to, choose to, to use as the lens through which we view other people and ourselves and world, and life's events. And, you know, I used to say it is as though there are two parallel universes. But the more I've read about multi, what they now call multiverses, I'm not so sure it's just a metaphor. you know, the way science talks now and quantum physics and so forth, one could argue it is two different universes. You can live in a universe of love, which is not to say you won't make mistakes. It's not to say other people won't make mistakes. But there's a level of mercy and compassion that rule, and you grow and they grow, and you keep moving forward. And we know people uh, who live in that universe, and... I know when I choose to live in that universe I always say if I practice what I preach my life works really well. But then there's another universe and that's where you look through a lens of anger and negativity and cynicism and victimization and attack and blame and defensiveness and you and those around you suffer. But you're the one who makes the choice and that's why meditation is so important because if you wake up in the morning and you go directly to the stories of the world, the story fed to you by reading the newspaper, the stories fed to you if you listen to the radio news, the stories fed to you if you look on the Internet, then your mind becomes mesmerized by those stories, and it be, those stories begin to dominate your mental filter. But if you wake up in the morning and you meditate first, you pray first, you, you, you send love to, to all the world first, then you, then you, by the time you encounter the stories of the world, you do so as someone bringing your light, bringing your love, bringing your forgiveness, so that you can be a miracle worker within that story, so that you can yourself be a transformational element within that story. So the issue in, your, in the story of your own life and the story of the world is, are you going to be at the effect of the story of the world, or are you going to be a creator of your own story, co-creating with God? And also a transformer, a light worker within the darkened and painful stories of the world.
0: Outside of meditation, Marianne, is there another way we can like, change the story of our lives?
1: Well, I'm a student of A Course in Miracles. A Course in Miracles is just one out of many paths to, to love. And I, I think many of us know what path works for us uh, but some, and, and are walking it. There are other people who know what their path is, but even as they're listening to this program or going, she's right, I haven't picked up the book in a while, I haven't meditated in a while. There are other people who honestly don't know, but I, I assure you, if someone in their heart says, I want to be more loving, I want to be more forgiving, I want to live with greater compassion, I want to change, but I don't know how. If you, If that is the beat of your heart, and you are willing, and you say, dear God, by whatever name show me, then books will begin to fall at your feet and teachers will appear and teachings will appear and everything you need will be given unto you once the prayer in your heart is to find a way, find another way to live.
0: And how much does having an attachment to people and things influence or even uh, have an impact on our happiness?
1: It impedes our level of happiness. It's as Buddha said, uh, all suffering arises from attachment. There is a non-attachment in which we do not seek to control others. We we seek other people's happiness for an attachment to how they behave. The ego says, I need you to behave a certain way in order for me to be happy. Now, it it will always say, it's because I love you. (laughs) It's big on, I love you, but because I love you, I need you to act this way or that way. So it's very insidious but an attachment to other people's behavior actually impedes our happiness just as it impedes theirs now if you have a child there's something different <laughs> you know i you know of course i have an attachment to my child's behavior my child not running into the street or my child not doing drugs or whatever don't get me wrong but as a principle of behavior it is a an attitude of non-attachment that is the holy one
0: How much do our thoughts about sickness have an effect on our health?
1: Everything. The Course in Miracles says that we are spirits and not bodies. The body is like a suit of clothes. That physical birth is not the beginning of life, but a continuation of life. The physical death is not the end of life, but a continuation of life. When we forget that, and thinking of the world definitely represents that forgetfulness, we are so attached, we so over identify with the body that this puts a stress on the body that the body is not meant to carry. And this is the source of sickness. So, counterintuitively, we live more comfortably and with greater health within the body when we actually know that we are not bodies. Your life force moves through your body. It does not emanate from your body and that attitude creates health and forgetting that creates sickness now let me just say this sickness while sickness always represents metaphysical error the error may not have been on the part of the person who contracted the illness there are great Saints for instance who have died of cancer if a small child has a a brain tumor and that brain tumor can be traced to carcinogens in the air, then the metaphysical error obviously was not on the part of the child, it was on the part of the society that so allowed the greed of those spewing carcinogens into the environment to supersede a concern for our common good.
0: What's the role, let's say, in medicine and body treatments in healing?
1: The integrative paradigm of healing is what serves us that we realize there is a an allopathic dimension you know if you're if you're an enlightened master you don't ever need medicine but if you're not an enlightened master and i'm certainly not that means we have some attachment to the material plane and so medicine appears on the level of the belief system we are part of so there are allopathic medicinal measures that are are blessed and of great value and 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 and, even miraculous, but the actual power did not emanate from the medicine. The actual power moves through the medicine. It emanates from the consciousness of love and healing, which produced it. But there are psychological elements in healing. There are emotional elements of healing. There are spiritual elements of healing. Forgiveness, for instance. I remember a young man, I was leading an AIDS support group, and he said, do I have to forgive everybody? I remember saying to him, I don't know, do you have the flu or do you have... AIDS, because if you only have the flu, just forgive a few people. In other words, forgiveness, because it allows love to move through. Miracles occur naturally as expressions of love. So when you're sick, you're holding on to resentment. You're holding on to unforgiveness. You're holding on to anger. Actually suppresses your immune system. And love... Is a literally a healing agent on the body.
0: What was your own defining moment in your in your life where you turned towards God, and what did that mean in terms of how you related to the world?
1: I don't think that there was one moment when I turned to God and that affected how I re- relate to the world. Every moment of my life, every every day of my life is filled with moments in which I turn to God to guide my my. Uh, relating to the world and in those moments when I do not then things happen that remind me to do so
0: what role do you think God plays in awakening us
1: infinite I believe the universe is self organizing and self correcting I believe that when we are tempted by that which is not love that the all powerful love God, by whatever you call it, provides every opportunity to return to love. You know, the physical body would not have evolved over millions of years without a system that gives us the power to take a hit. You know, if, if we get cut, if we are injured, if we are ill, the body has an immune system. And that reflects a universal immune system. So God is not only the love that makes all things right. It is also the power that makes all things right again.
0: If there is a God out there, how come there's so many so-called bad things happening in the world?
1: God didn't do those things we did. There are 14,000 children who starve on the planet every day, even though there's no dearth of food. The question is not, why does God let children starve? The question is, why do we let children starve? There are one, uh, there are 1 billion people on this planet living in deep poverty, a dollar and quarter and less a day. God didn't do that. We did. It, we're the ones who are, you know, the advanced Western nations could eradicate deep poverty in 10 years if we chose to. What we have is free will. God is the love in us. God is the love in us. There is no God out there. There is no out there. We are ideas in the mind of God. And when we co-create with God by thinking with God, which means we are love, then that creates harmonious life. So when we choose not to dwell in love, the consequences occur because the law of cause and effect is the building block of the universe. It's called karma in the East, cause and effect in the West. Every, God himself will not violate that law once he's established the law, and it was built for our protection. So if I do unloving things and then get an unloving consequence, I can't say, God, how did you let that happen? The question is, how did I let that happen? And God's help will not come because he will interfere between cause and effect. God's help comes when I request it in that he will reorder my thoughts so that my thinking and behavior on a level of cause then changes and that will create a new effect. That is what the atonement is. You can look at the terrible disasters on the planet and see, human beings did that. Human beings did that when we turned away from God, i.e. turned away from love and made something else more important.
0: Do you believe that it's down to each individual themselves to create that difference?
1: Well, unfortunately, well, fortunately or unfortunately, depending on how you look at it, we need it's a both end. We must change our personal lives, but we also are dealing at a time where collective uh, behavior is extraordinarily important as well. Um, I'm an American. Um, I didn't invade Iraq, but my country did. And as a member of a democratic society, I have a responsibility as a voter and as a citizen to do what I can to make the collective behavior done theoretically in my name, align with my own values. So, absolutely, uh, the transformations that are necessary are both on an individual and a collective level.
0: Your poem, Our Deepest Fear, is very, very inspiring. Can you tell me a little bit about this?
1: It's not a poem, actually, although people seem to think it is. It is actually simply a paragraph from my book, uh, A Return to Love. Um, I don't know how that paragraph got singled out. I don't know how that paragraph got misattributed to Nelson Mandela. But it is uh, simply a paragraph from my book, A Return to Love. And that book is subtitled Reflections on the Principles of a Course in Miracles. So... That is just one of, you know, I always say, if you like the paragraph, you'll love the book because it's one of, uh, it's just one of many of the principles of the course uh, that I talk about in that book. Uh, I understand the enthusiasm about it. I feel the same enthusiasm, which is why I wrote the book. The idea that we are more frightened by our light than by our darkness.
0: You think this is the case?
1: Absolutely. Because the ego mind is afraid of the light because in the presence of light, love, compassion, the ego disappears. So it is on a on a mission to preserve itself. And it sees itself as overwhelmed. If love exists, it dies, and it's right. But once you realize that the death of the ego is your liberation and your salvation, then you're just fine with your ego dying.
0: Marion, would you have any routine for our listeners, say first thing in the morning, to create a more positive and energized day?
1: Well, I don't know any serious spiritual path that, that does not talk about the importance of prayer and meditation. Enlightenment is not an intellectual change. It begins with an abstract change. But then these principles need to make a journey from the head to the heart. And that is what occurs through meditation. So I'm a student of A Course in Miracles, the workbook of the course, which is 365 days of meditation exercises. It is an actual mind training. You know, the word disciple and the word discipline come from the same root. Prayer is part of this. Forgiveness is part of this. It, it We cannot make this change without the support of some teaching. So, of course, the Miracles does not claim to have a monopoly on truth. It's one of many. It's not for everyone. It's, if it's for you, you know it. I write books based on the Course, but there are many other uh, systems as well. The Course is not a religion. It is merely a mind training, psychological training based on universal spiritual themes by which we surrender a thought system based on fear and accept instead a thought system based on love. But there are many paths, many forms of meditation, and anyone, like I said earlier, who's looking for one, if you don't already know what would speak to you, books will fall at your feet.
0: I know you're in London next week. Can you tell me a little bit about what's happening? Yes, thank you.
1: Uh, First of all, people can uh, go to my website, Marianne.com, for further information about all of the things I do. Um, Next Wednesday, November 18th, I will be speaking at Alternatives in London. And on Saturday, November 21st, I will be doing an all-day seminar. So and that the first one is on miraculous thinking Wednesday night is on miracle minded thinking on Saturday's workshop is called Love, Work and Miracles. So is specifically applies to how miracle minded thinking applies to career and money and so forth. So people can find out more information at Marianne dot com on my events page. And maybe there's somebody in Ireland who wants to pop on over. And also, if your listeners would be interested, please, please sign my email list at Marianne dot com hopefully i will be back in ireland at some point and uh hopefully we'll meet you in person
0: thanks so much for your time today i, I really enjoyed the interview
1: thank you so much thank you You're very welcome god bless you.
0: and I'm, su- I'm sure we'll see you sometime in the future
1: i hope so thank you <laughs>